Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host, Pete Waltz. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the ninth episode of the DC Insider Employer Update. Let's welcome back our DC Insiders from Fortney Scott. David Fortney, how are you? Hey, Pete. I'm great today. And back again for another week, Bert Fishman. Bert, what's going on? Hi, Pete. Glad to be here. And last but not least, Nita, how are things with you? Very good. Excited to discuss the president and his speech. Yes, that was quite a speech, wasn't it? And for those that didn't listen carefully, it was about jobs, or maybe I should rephrase it. It was about jobs, 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 and jobs. But there was a lot of other things that came out of that. And I think instead of a quick rundown, we're going to need to spend a little bit more time unpacking that. So, David, why don't you start us? Sure. Happy to kick that off. I thought the most significant thing as I listened to it, which I overall thought was a great speech. I I don't think that Biden is per se a great orator, but I thought the speech content was very inspirational. And the contrast, I went back to President Trump's initial address, where he addressed the American carnage, and it was this very dark portrayal uh, and very sort of doom and gloom on what the horizons are for Americans. Uh, Biden clearly made a conscious effort to contrast with that. Uh, and to set up a much more optimistic, notwithstanding that we're coming out of a pandemic, economic challenges, very significant. And in fact, David, I think you're right about that, because 85 percent of people polled right after the speech gave approval to President Biden for his speech. And his focus was interestingly, not surprisingly, unions and women in the workforce and workforce opportunities for all, good jobs for all, and ways to improve the opportunities for Americans to move forward. My take on it was this was the Biden vision. This is America the capable. Uh, You know, we're kind of reshaping the role of government in addressing safety net problems that middle America got hit with during the pandemic. And all of those issues are more pressing, whether it's COVID or healthcare or childcare or jobs. And that's what he focused on. But this is the Biden vision. Well, it sounds like, and again, President Biden did spend some time on all the accomplishments we've made with COVID and vaccines, but we know there's always new rules coming down the road. Let's talk about the status on COVID. Nita, kick us off. Well, COVID cases are coming down even in some of the hot spots, so that's good to see. We do have a pretty hard group of people who say they're not going to get vaccines. Let's see where they go with that. I think an important thing that CDC came out with this week is that if you are vaccinated, you don't have to wear masks out in public unless you're in crowds. And that's sort of starting the opening up of America. You know, one of the other things that I thought was significant this week was that OSHA finally moved that temporary standard that we've been talking about for weeks. It's now gone from the Labor Department over to the White House for review. Interestingly, the Labor Department actually issued a press release saying, we're done with it. We're just waiting on the White House. That's kind of unusual. And it may have been, I think it was, to avoid an oversight hearing, the Democratic House was going to have an oversight hearing on the Democratic Labor Department on where the hell is the OSHA standard. So 
they at least were able to show some progress on that and kicked it to the White House. You know, one other interesting development that's kind of a double-edged sword, many states are prohibiting employers and other businesses from mandating vaccines. And many businesses, especially uh, entertainment and hospitality, want to have this option as a way of getting people back into their businesses with the example of uh, Israel as their model. So this may backfire on governors and legislatures that are thinking that they're striking a blow for freedom. They may be deterring the recovery. But Bert, we still have the problem that employers don't really know whether they can provide incentives. So you've got the risk that a lot of employers don't want to mandate. We talked about that before. But the EEOC did have a hearing this week, and employers again said, can you please give us some guidance on what kind of incentives we can provide to our employees? And there really was no response yet. I expect in a couple of weeks we may, or months, actually get some guidance, but they're very slow on this. So let's talk about minimum wage. $15 minimum wage came up in the speech same day there was an executive order issued. Let's talk about it, Bert. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because I think uh, this may be a model for future conduct. The executive order requires a new $15 minimum wage on all contracts entered into, renewed, extended, on or after January 30th, 2022. And that's only nine months away. And then next year, 23, it's going to be indexed to the cost of the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. This affects 400,000 low-pay service workers, but the impact may be much greater as a pull on wages across the economy. And I think the important thing above and beyond that original impact is the fact that this may be the, the template. What you can't get in legislation you're going to see in an executive order, usually on the backs of federal contractors. So it sounds like in summary, I mean, this speech really was a summary of the first 100 days. But beyond all that, let's really drill down into what this is going to mean for employers. And let's dig into a kind of 100-day overview of how this impacts. And David, let's start with you on maybe a blue-collar scenario on job creation. The president constantly reframes all of his proposals as being job opportunities, job creation. Whether it's the environmental, the green movement, he views it as a jobs program. Whether it's uh, enhanced education opportunities, that's viewed as a job preparation, job facilitation program for women and trained workers in the future. And of course, the straight infrastructure bills themselves obviously create jobs, but not just jobs. As the president likes to say, good union jobs. And we have never seen since Franklin Roosevelt, a president that is a more unabashed pro-union supporter. Whether you like it or not, that is where he comes from. And it's quite frankly, much more pronounced than he was on the campaign trail about this. He, he now, every description of a job is a pro-union job. And he is in there pitching for the uh, organized labor on a regular basis. Well, let me just add, it's not just the president. Uh, if you look from the White House into the cabinet, into the agencies, there are strong union advocates in every one of those policy positions. Uh, look at the president's open support for the union at Amazon. As David said, uh, this is the most pro-union president since Roosevelt. But unlike Roosevelt, he's no aristocrat. This is lunch bucket Joe who knows about unions and is supporting them from personal experience. The legislation, you know, we're talking about 
overt union preference all across the legislation. And I think employers, especially federal contractors, while the executive order on the $15 minimum wage was fairly limited in who it covers, it's actually an expansion of an Obama executive order. I think you are going to see a lot of rollout of these legislative actions around being neutral during union elections and that type of thing. If he can't get them through legislation, we're going to have them through executive orders. You know, Nita, another executive order that the president signed this past week is one dealing with the task force. This is interesting that he decided to have a task force focusing on expanding union organizing union rights. He put Seth Harris in charge of it, who is a a policy advisor in the White House. So he didn't have a secretary of labor. He has Seth, who is formerly the deputy secretary at the Labor Department uh, during the Obama administration running this. Now, what's going to become of these recommendations? I don't know. At a minimum, it's going to be a big propaganda uh, device, certainly for organized labor. And uh, there may be some specific recommendations that once again could be codified back in those executive orders. Well, it's important to note that who did he put in charge of it, David? Yes, Seth Harris is the main, you know, he's going to be working the the action, but he made it Vice President Harris's, she is in charge. She is the person driving the train. And Marty Walsh, Marty, the Secretary of Labor, is working with her along with this whole task force in the White House. We've talked a lot about jobs and the impact of that, but let's shift over just to the legislative agenda. What's happened so far with President Biden's legislative agenda, David? It's interesting. Now we have seen really three major components to the Biden administration as as Build Back Better, as we start to really understand what he means. After 100 days, he has laid out the roadmap for us. And it really, as I said, three components. The first, the American Rescue Plan. That's the COVID response that we've talked about a lot. The second is the American Jobs Plan. That's the infrastructure and all the other components that go with that. And third, and this is the one that has just been rolled out, is the American family plan. So rescue is the COVID-focused. The jobs plan is infrastructure. I'd say infrastructure plus because of all the other add-ins that it includes. And finally, the family plan is one that's very broadly focused on kind of reimagining American uh, society and the role of federal government in supporting American society. Fundamental realignment. Let me uh, pick up, David, on the uh... American Rescue Plan, it's probably Biden's signature success to date. It was the one that was successful in deploying the vaccines. It jump-started the economy. It got the stimulus checks out to millions of people. It added unemployment supplements. And of course, we now have, what is it, 220 million shots in the arms of Americans. It is really showing that America can work. Right. Now, jobs, the jobs plan, that's the one that the people are going really hard at it at this point. The Republicans have come back with a an alternative, so they're, they're engaged. They're not just saying no, because the Republicans recognize that basic infrastructure, I'm talking roads, tunnels, airports, internet, lead pipes uh, that contain water, those are winning issues with all voters of all stripes. So the Republicans want a piece of that, a fundamental disagreement over the scoping and how it's paid for. But it's likely, and you can see the president, he solicited and acknowledged the Republican response and wants to play ball with the Republicans on that portion 
of the jobs plan. But of course, there's all those other components. And to the extent he does not secure those through negotiations, I think we're likely to see through the uh, skinny down budget process that allows a simple majority vote that Biden will try to get the rest of it in that manner. But I think that the jobs plan, meaningful negotiations, he will make changes and he'll want some bipartisan cover on that one. But families is the new one. And that's the one that is really new and, and very far reaching. Yeah, it's a $1.8 trillion proposal. I see it as Biden's great society bill. It's aimed at the middle class. It's focused on parents, mainly on moms, and it builds the safety net that got torn during the pandemic. Just listen to some of these numbers. The focus is on education, $100 billion for community colleges, $100 billion for other college programs, $200 billion for free pre-K. Childcare, $225 billion. Paid family leave, $225 billion. Extended Obamacare subsidies, $200 billion. Expanded and continuing child tax credits, $400 billion. This is the Biden vision of the Great Society. And the next issue is whether and how it can pass. Right. So do you think that that's going to really be shoehorned into a budget bill that would allow that reconciliation process, only 50 plus one votes, and avoid this, the filibuster? Well, oddly enough, because every one of these shifts what might have been a personal or an employer benefit to the federal government, these are all budget issues. And unless we get a ruling from the parliamentarian, and who knows what she's going to say, these fit in to what Bernie Sanders and the Budget Committee will say is right in their ballywick and can be voted on by reconciliation. Okay, guys. Well, so I know he's got his moving forward plan on the jobs, and we got a moving forward plan on the family plan. But aren't there some other important employment bills that have already passed the House and they're now sitting in the Senate? Nita, where are we on those? Well, we've got paycheck fairness, uh, which I think a lot of people have not been paying attention to, and we haven't actually mentioned it before. This paycheck fairness has been around for years. It's actually been adopted by many states, California, New York, Maryland. What it would do is revise the 1963 Equal Pay Act and substantially revise the, the defenses. There's a gigantic hole for employers the affirmative defense says any factor other than sex, and many employers basically have been able to use that to avoid paying for equal pay for women. And so it would substantially change that and make it much more difficult for employers to explain why they pay a woman less than a man. Another thing that federal contractors need to pay close attention to, it would reinstate the EEOC's pay collection called Component 2 and add additional collection data uh, from employers. That would be any employer with more than 100 employees. And OFCCP, uh, federal contractor agency, would also have uh, gathering data as well. Those could be done without legislation. Those can be done by executive order. So, those are all very interesting. And uh, David, some of the other things include the salary pay bans that we've been seeing across the states and local areas as well. Right. So this would impose uh, as a national standard, the preclusion of uh, collecting salary history. I think most employers don't 
at this point asked for salary history, uh, typically, but often it comes up, it's volunteered. And this would make the whole issue of how to deal with when you receive that information, how would you deal with it? So there's many parts of this that business uh, is unlikely to support. In fact, has indicated it's not going to support. This is another candidate, I think, that once it gets through not passing in the Senate, because in contrast to what Bert just explained on the family bill that the president is proposing, this bill, the Paycheck Fairness Act, does not fit as a budget bill. It will require 60 votes. So unless we change the filibuster rule, not likely at this point, it means this bill, I don't see it as passing. There is one other bill that has been passed by the House called the Equality Act. Uh, It's similar to bills passed in the past that were mainly designed to assure that LGBT sexual identity, gender identity was treated as a protected group under Title VII. This bill does that, but what it also does is limit the use of what they call RIFRA, Religious Defense Rights to counterbalance the protections of the Civil Rights Act. This is a response to the recent Supreme Court cases supporting the idea that religious rights somehow outweigh the protections of other generally applicable laws. Uh, And we'll see what happens. It's very controversial. It is, and it goes actually beyond what uh, Bostock, the Supreme Court decision said, and outlines it would not just protect LGBT rights in the workplace, but also in healthcare, education, juries, immigration, where prior administrations who didn't agree with the Bostock decision tried to restrict rights. Well, finally, the Justice Department not waiting for this bill, though, the Equality Act, the Attorney General, Merrick Garland, is very aggressively implementing, based on the Bostock decision primarily, which was, of course, under Title VII, he, by enforcement discretion, is going to extend and expand those same ground rules for housing, schooling, uh, a whole range of issues and public protections that are there. So the bill, whether it passes or not, certainly the current Justice Department is going to read the Bostock decision expansively and to the maximum extent they can read these protections into the current legal landscape. So it sounds like, again, some things further along in process, but lots of things on the plate. So as we do, folks, let's narrow down our key takeaways from what employers need to focus on from President Biden's first 100 days. David? The president's primary interest, one of the key stakeholders is organized labor, unions. One of the union's top priorities is the emergency temporary standard for OSHA. We're going to see that in 15 days, 30 at the tops. Bert, what about you? The way I see it is that we can get things done. The COVID relief plan and the vaccination success is proof that government can work. But I fear that the uh, 30% of anti-vax sentiment can deter everything. And finally, uh, employers need to stay very closely aligned with what's going on in Congress because if they don't pass some of this legislation, especially uh, around paycheck fairness and these others, you can expect those to be rolled out as executive orders, just as the president did with the $15 minimum wage. Well, many thanks to our friends at Fortney Scott for their great insights. For our next podcast, we'll conclude our review of President Biden's first 100 days by focusing on the federal workforce enforcement agencies. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. 
On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.